0: Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? We survived the horrible hour change, right? It is evil to us. Well, we are party are just beginning to launch into our new teaching series, Savage Jesus. And Savage may not be a word that you're used to calling Jesus. Maybe perhaps more like Shepherd, Savior, Safe, Comfortable. But this series, we're going to look at a brand new aspect of Jesus that I think is largely forgotten in the church. It's largely forgotten about, as followers of Jesus, just the savageness of who he is and what he went after in our lives. And he went after religious barriers. He went after sin. He went after disease. And very boldly and strongly and scandalously. And that's what this series is going to bring us over the next several weeks as we lead into Easter. So if you want, we're going to be in the book of Mark this entire series. So if you want to, Mark's a great book because it's only 16 chapters long, and it's about two-thirds of your way through your Bible to the Newer Testament, and we're going to jump in at Mark chapter 1. But before we get there, I want to ask you a question. Anyone here like to be called out? Yeah, not many of us do, huh? Sometimes you and I get called out for things that we never actually did. My wife had a dream, and she woke up angry at me. To which she says, I'm mad at you. Well, why are you mad at me? We just woke up. I had a dream, and I was mad at you in my dream. I was like, I wasn't in your, it's not me though, right? I was in my own dream. You are you in your dream. You can't get mad at me for something I wasn't even in. But I got called out for it. Some things you and I, we get called out because we actually did them. I used to, used to love drinking straight out of the milk carton, out of the fridge. Anyone else? Hey, you're in church, admit it. How many of you did it this morning? Anyone? A couple really did. That's awesome. Right? I got called out because my wife doesn't like when I do that. I, I don't do it much anymore. But uh, my, my kid, my, especially my son, has seen his father do it. And so I call him out now on it. But we get called out for things, mostly the bad things. We live in a culture that is, has an avalanche of calling people out. We can't wait to see that person to go from heights to low, and we can go to social media and call them out on it. And that's what we live in today: is a culture of just constant calling people out for the wrong in them. And what's so savage about Jesus? Is that he does the same thing, but a different way than what you and I do. And so this morning, I'm going to make your greatest nightmare come true. I'm going to call you out. So turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. And then say this, he's going to call us out. Now take a deep breath and let it out. Because I'm going to try to do it the way Jesus does it. I'm going to call us out because I think that's the savage thing Jesus does. And if we're to live like Jesus, i got to do what Jesus does. But I promise you this, the calling out is going to bring the best out of you. You know, I think the greatest athlete today, right, just not all time, but exists alive right now playing sports, professional sports, is Serena Williams. Okay, you LeBron James likers, MJ was better than LeBron anyways, Get over it. LeBron James ain't the best. He ain't even going to the playoffs this year, all right? Just to let you know, MJ would. But, hey, Serena Williams, to me, is our current greatest athlete right now. You know what I find odd about greatest athletes is they, need, they, they have coaches. It's like you're the greatest, yet you need a coach still. And I don't know about you if you know Serena Williams. She's a tennis player. And one of the things about Serena Williams is she has a coach, and in tennis, do you know you don't have to have a coach. You can go to tournaments and just play by yourself and not have a coach sit up in the box, coaching box. You can go and do your own thing. But Serena Williams, the for sure probably the greatest tennis play, female tennis player ever to play the game, possibly in my view the greatest athlete right now that exists, she has a coach. All great athletes have a coach. Because what a coach does is it calls the greatest out of them. It causes that person to reach new potentials they never thought they could reach. And that's what Jesus does for us. It's Jesus calls stuff out of us that we just that are dead inside that just need to be spoken to. And sometimes I think we don't even know what's in there until we hear God's word and we're like, wow. This thing needed just to be activated by what Jesus had to say to me. So this morning, we're going to jump into Mark chapter 1, verse 14, and that's where we're going to begin. And to set that up, Jesus is going to launch his public ministry. He's been quiet for the first 30 years of his life. We, the only thing we know about the first 30 years of Jesus' life was his birth narrative. We celebrate Christmas every year, we understand the birth narrative found in Matthew and Luke. There we go. And then we have nothing from birth till about maybe 12. And then at 12 years old, they go to Jerusalem, and Mary and Joseph leave Jesus in Jerusalem, and they're traveling back and realize three days later, oh, we don't have our son. All right? Great parenting right there. So they realize, okay, we gotta go back and get our 12-year-old boy that's in church and grab him. And then, and then nothing again until Jesus is about 30 years old and he's launching his public ministry. And he's going to do it this public ministry for three years before he goes to the cross. And here's how Mark begins his words on the life of Jesus. It says this, after John was put into prison. Now who, who's this John? This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist that was out in the wilderness. He was, a, he was like a wild man. But he's out there baptizing people uh, into baptism of repentance to say, hey, repent of your sins, get your life right, turn back to God. And he was dunking people in the Jordan River. This is the guy that baptized Jesus. And now he's put into prison. And you know why he's put into prison? Because he calls out Herod, because Herod's sleeping with his brother's wife. (laughs) It's really quiet. So John calls him out. Hey, you ought not to do that. And he doesn't like that and throws him into prison. And John will eventually get his head cut off and served on a platter and brought to the hair. There you go. Just because you live for the truth. Oh, thank you. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And then these are the first words of Jesus' public ministry at the age of 30. The time has come, he said. The, can we read these three words together? The kingdom of God. Has come near, repent and believe the good news Now you sit back and say, What is the kingdom of God? What is he talking about? These are the first words Jesus says. The kingdom of God is the restoring of everything that was broken from Genesis one and genesis two Genesis three the fall. see back in creation when you had the garden and God spoke the cosmos into existence, you had the garden, you had Adam and Eve that sinned and destroyed our relationship. Four relationships broken. Our relationship with God has been broken because of sin. Our relationship with each other is broken because of sin. Our relationship within ourselves, that we carry shame and regret and guilt, that was never there before sin entered the world. We have a broken relationship within ourselves. And the fourth is a relationship with creation. And the kingdom of God is restoring all that brokenness, shalom, back to its original design and intent wholeness and Jesus is saying I'm ushering that kingdom in and what I love about how easy it is to follow Jesus look at what Jesus says hey two words I just want you to repent and believe I think the American church in general the Christian church in America we've done a horrible job we've made it so complicated to follow Jesus we put rules, we put regulations, we make you go to certain classes, whatever. Look at Jesus' words. I got two things. Repent, which means you're walking this way. You have to have a change of mind a direction. I'm going to walk this way now. I'm not doing that life anymore. And believe, just believe who Jesus is and the good news that he died on the cross for your sins and mine, that you can be forgiven. And too many times in the Christian church, we, we muddied the waters for people. And it says as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, this huge, beautiful, freshwater lake that's seven miles across, north and south, 13 miles. He saw Simon, who is Peter, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Let's say these three words together. You ready? Come, follow me. Simple. Jesus said, And I will send you out to fish for people. And their response, at once, they they left their nets and followed him. And he had gone a little farther and saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Now Jesus is like, I got more fishermen. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And followed him. And I love what Jesus is doing. Without delay he called them. What does Jesus not do in this moment? As he's calling these fishermen to come follow him. And all of humanity will eventually rest on these guys. Because when Jesus is gone and dies on the cross. And buried and goes back to heaven. These guys have to carry the movement of Jesus. And begin the church. And he says without delay he called them. What doesn't he do? He doesn't go to Peter and Andrew. James and John said, Hey, you guys have to take theology 101 first. You really got to go to ministry, some type of training before you follow me. He didn't go and say, Man, Peter, I knew what you did last night. You're at that bar pretty late. No. He didn't say, you guys got to go through confirmation classes. You guys got to do this and this before. No, he says, without delay, he called them. He sits there and says, I see you exactly where you are, and I want you to know you and I can have a relationship. I'll clean your stuff up. I'll clean the back. Just come and experience me. Let's do this thing together. And so in the moment that Jesus calls his first group of guys, they're just fishermen who were good at what they were doing. They were doing their family business. That's what they knew. They were comfortable doing that, fishing through the night. When the waters get cold and the fish come up to the surface just to get a little warmth, they were good, they were comfortable. Soon after that, John records another time when Jesus, just soon after he calls Simon and uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John. Look at what John records. He says this, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to them, let's read these two words together, follow me. You see how simple Jesus is? Come follow me. Follow me. Simple. Simple. This is Philip, like Andrew and Peter, who we just read about, was from the town Bethsaida, which was a very prominent fishing village of the time. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? That's like saying... East Lansing? Can anything good come from there? Columbus, Ohio? Can anything good come from there? What's Nathaniel doing? They realize that Nazareth is this city that is insignificant. Nothing important comes from this city. You don't want to go to this city. It's just there. Stay away, it's just, there's nothing to see, nothing to do, no one good, it's just unimportant. And I wonder in their minds, that were they waiting for the Son of God, their Messiah, their Savior? Probably thinking in their minds, he's going to come from Jerusalem, the religious center of our time. That's where the Son of God has got to come down on the temple, probably just right there in Jerusalem. Or he's going to come from Rome. The, the political and all the wealth system that's in Rome. Rome was ruling. They thought their Messiah, their son of God, was going to rise up politically and overthrow the oppression of the Roman government. Maybe perhaps the is going to come from Rome, if not Jerusalem. But Nazareth? The insignificant little city? And I wonder if God's sitting there saying, yes, there, because I want to prove to everyone that I will go anywhere in order to reach you. And I'll even go to Nazareth and send my son to reach you there. And Philip says, yeah, Nazareth, here's three words, this is what I want. Come and just see. I know what we think about Nazareth, but you gotta come and see who this Jesus is. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching. He said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no fault. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus says, I I, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. I saw you, Nathanael. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, meaning just teacher, You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And all of a sudden now we have a couple stories of Jesus starting his ministry and calling people out. He called James and John, Peter and Andrew, fishermen, out from their comforts of that to follow. Something greater. He calls Philip and Nathaniel. Philip more than likely a fisherman too because he's from that fishing village. He calls them out says "Hey, follow." but I want you to see something important in verse 47. Watch this again. It says, "When Jesus, what's this word, friends? When Jesus saw Nathaniel, not Nathaniel saw Jesus." See, I think we have it wrong sometimes. I think we think the story our story begins when we start searching for God. Long before you were searching for God, God was searching for you. He was pursuing you long before you did. And so here he's saying, hey, I saw you, Nathaniel. You weren't even looking for me yet. I saw you. I knew you. I'm pursuing you, Nathaniel. Which I started to wonder, if, if when Jesus is pursuing us, what, what perhaps is some of the first thing Jesus thinks about us? You sit there and be like, oh, that I messed up? That I failed it? this relationship, I've failed at life I'm an addict I just can't do anything right I think some of the first things Jesus would say about you and it would be terrifying to me absolutely terrifying if the way some people who follow God talk about people is the way God talks about people Did you get that? It would terrify me. Because we have people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but the way you talk about people is so bad. And no wonder why people are afraid to come into church, because they're afraid of the people in church sometimes. I see the way they talk about people outside the walls. They're judging, they're condemning. I don't want to go, I already know what's wrong inside. Why would I ever want to come and hear more about what's wrong inside of me? And i got to apologize for anyone in here this morning that you feel like you never came to church because you always had that skewed view of what Christians looked like. And I pray and my hope in my heart, if you've been burnt by that, is that that is not the way God talks about people. Because we're really good at calling out people. But look at Jesus' first words to Nathanael. This is awesome. First words. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is, what's these two words? No. Because Jesus is so savage, he'll flip our culture. When we want to call out the bad in people, Jesus sits there and calls out the good in people. What would it look like if we started a movement where we started calling the good out in people? You'd scare them. What is this kindness? What are you doing right now? All I've known my whole life is just the negative and call me out, everything I do wrong. All of a sudden, whoa, whoa. Like for you and I to live like Jesus in the moment and start reaching people and speaking good into them. Hey, I, I saw the way you treated that annoying coworker, dude. That was so good how patient you are and kind with them. Because I want to strangle them. I love the way you treated our kids in that moment, man. You were patient. You were kind. You had self control. Hey, great job. I saw the way you treated that waiter or waitress who was having a horrible day, and she's not, he or she is not taking it out on you. She's just having, he's having a bad day, but the way you treated them in the restaurant, wow. The way you gave up your parking spot, I know, whoa for some of us, right? Ain't giving that baby up. I'll do those other things, not that parking spot. I park right there at church. How many of you park in the same spot at church? Just curious. Oh, okay, here's here's, here's a calling out one. You're going to call it to get. How many of you sit in the exact same spot at church every single Sunday? Oh, now we're getting called out, and now we got hands. Yeah. I saw the way you gave up that seat or scooted in before that first-time guest can sit in and experience Jesus, or I ain't moving. Jesus is not about the good. We could start a complete revolution of who Jesus was if we just started to speak good into people. You need to know this friends. That what's so savage about Jesus is that he calls us out, but he calls us. When Jesus calls us out, he calls us out of our comfort zone to something better. For Simon and Andrew and James and John, what was so comfortable absolutely was their fishing boat. We're good. We fish at night. We take the fish in the morning, get them salted, get them to the market. Then we try to sleep and we're back at it. We're good right here. But Jesus says, no, I need you guys to realize, I need to speak something and activate something in your life. Why? Because all of humanity will rest on your shoulders when I'm gone. The whole church movement is going to rest on you guys. I need to call you out of your comfort zone into something so much better. And I think this is where, you know where churches just kind of, and just exist? Because they get into their comfort zones. We're good. If it's me, then I, I, I just don't change anything about it because I like it as is. And what comfort does? Comfort will constrain you and restrict you. Comfort never compels us to something greater. For me, I hated getting on stage and speaking. Hated it. Man, I tell you what, I remember in college, in my speech class, I tried not taking it freshman year, but you had to. I think it was called communication, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I hate this thing. I remember getting up and just going, "Ah." And you know what I talked about? I talked about there's, there's the saying in college, the freshman 15, that you gain 15 extra pounds your freshman year of college. I talked about the freshman 20, so I called them out, my class even more. On it, but man, I was just like, oh. I didn't think I slept at all that night. I was comfortable never speaking in front of people, never wanted to. But you will never get into your calling unless you step out of your comfort zone. And what I realized is God had a calling for my life. Hindsight, man, I hated this thing, and this is what God's using in my life. My question is where do you need to step out of your comfort zone? Where have you just become so complacent in your life that you're just comfortable? Status quo, meteorocracy in life, you're just, I'm good. Just don't stretch me, don't take me out of it. I'm just comfortable. I'm in my snuggie and I'm good. The enemy of your calling is your comfort. Abraham, the father of our faith. Hey Abraham, I gotta get you to the land I'm gonna take you and start an entire nation, and you're gonna be a blessing through them and see the stars in the sky. That's be the number of your descendants. But Abraham, you gotta leave your home and just go to the unknown. I can I can imagine Abraham. I don't want to, God. I'm good. I don't want to go. Abraham, I'm calling you to something better than what you're living right now. Maybe for some of us, our comfort zone is just keeping our gifts and talents right here and not moving anywhere. You know maybe that tug on your heart is, there's, there's something more, I just got to start using it. There's something, but you're just stuck because you're comfortable. Maybe for others, I don't want to share my faith. I know I got that person on my heart that God's laid. A friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a classmate, whatever it is. But I'm comfortable not sharing my faith or giving an invite card. I'm so just comfortable not doing that. But God's saying there's something better. If you just stepped out of your comfort zone, you can radically change that person's life. Peter, Andrew, James, John, just get out of the boat. Get out of the comfort and come follow me and you're going to revolutionize this world for me. Where is he calling you out? Because I'm not going to be the pastor that allows us to sit back and be okay with status quo. Because there's more in your life than you believe it and we need the greatest coach who's Jesus to call us to something better. Stop living for meteorocracy. Stop wallowing in it. You're not created just to exist. You were created for a purpose. And let's go live into this purpose now. But it's going to take us out of our comfort zone. I know for some of us we could be sitting back we're like, okay, wow, Jesus is savage. I like my comfort. But many of you. You're this. I really like those shoes, by the way. Those are good ones. But that's what it looks like for you right now. You're on the edge and you know it. You know there's something better. You know the next step. You know, I just, I just got Take it. I just had a conversation after first service with someone. He says the, the person said, that's me right there. I'm sitting. I know I have to. I know that that's something better for my life. I know i got to take off the jump off the cliff, but I'm scared. Because it's comfortable sitting here. And it's scary because I don't know how far down that is. I don't know what rocks I'm going to hit on the way. I don't know where the waters are going to take me. I don't know. I'm scared. But I know if God's got something better for me, i got to take it. And you cannot encounter Jesus and stay the same. You cannot encounter the creator of this universe and be unmoved. That the creator of the cosmos, who spoke this world into existence, is speaking to you right now. So this is your step. What is it for you? That you know, man, this is comfortable, but I'm ready. Is it that hard conversation you got to have with someone? Is it that bitterness that you're holding inside, knowing that, man, that is just trapped me right now? And you need to take that step because there's something better. You need to share your faith. You need to step up at work for that person that's getting picked on, and you haven't. You're the status quo. Just yeah, oh, they're just annoying. They're always going to get picked on. No, 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 no. Rise to the occasion and take the step. Maybe you're sitting here this morning saying, hey, all right, I, I may know what it is. I don't like that cliff step. How do I do it? One word. Trust. It's Trust. funny is the prophet Jonah he didn't want to go to Nineveh because they were crazy they were evil and he was really comfortable not being around those type of people and he didn't trust God in the process of it and he had to go through trial after trial before he finally said okay God you win I'm going to trust you it's going to say God you are if this is right for me, and I'm going to fulfill my purpose in life, and get you're going to call me to something better, and I'm going to live into my calling, and no matter how scary that next step is, I'm going to trust. It's trust. This morning, will you please stand? I just want to pray for us this morning. And I just want to give you a minute. Let's just all just bow our heads and close our eyes. I just want you to think just for 30 seconds of where have you gotten too comfortable? Where have you settled for status quo and God's trying to call you out of that to something? in your relationship. Maybe it's a habit of yours. Maybe it is sharing your faith with someone. Sitting down and restoring that broken relationship with that friend. Where have we gotten too comfortable? some of us this morning, we're on the edge of just making the faith to trust into God, because we've never even put our faith in Him. And I want you to think of that five-letter word, trust. <laughs> you got to trust that God has you. And He's with you in that next step. He's with you because he's calling you to something better. And his presence will be with you every step of the way as you make that tough step forward into something better. He's calling you to. And be reminded when he calls you out, he will call the goodness in you. So Father, may we trust you May we trust you wherever you're calling us out. We know it's for better. We know it's for your purpose and your plan. But for honest, it's still a little scary. May we trust in, G- in you so our souls can say, God, no matter what, it.